This episode is brought to you by PitchDMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. You are listening to an official podcast from Kings of Europe, your football link to the European Super Leagues. Welcome everybody back to the Kings of Europe, episode five. So glad that you guys could join us again this week. Uh, Just uh, super pumped about all the support we've been getting on the show. Uh, This is your space, your place, your home for the top European leagues, the Champions League, and of course, uh, not to be forgotten, the Europa League. Uh, I am, of course, joined by two awesome guests uh, this week. And uh, never alone. We're never alone here. I, I do have uh, the uh, Knob Creek small batch bourbon next to me, so I'm not alone physically. And I'm rocking tonight the sweet 1617 Mauro Icardi kit from Inter Milan. So Inter getting some love from me tonight. Mauro Icardi, a beast. I would love to see him uh, get entered into the Champions League this season, but we'll see what happens. You, you know, I can't beggars can't be choosers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be happy with whatever happens, but. I am joined on my virtual right by uh, one of our first German guests, besides me, but our first uh, German guest who's actually in the country of Germany this time. We have John Berger. John, servus, wie geht's? Schön, dass du dabei sein kannst. Hallo, danke für die Einladung. Geht mir sehr gut. Uh, freut mich sehr, dass ich hier sein kann und ein bisschen beitragen kann. Awesome. So glad to have you. And of course, we have uh, one of our rotating guests. We have Stan, the real white guy, White. That was really weird because I said you're the white guy and then followed by White. That's White, White. Stan, White, White. Yeah. Stan, what's going on, buddy? Uh, good evening, sir. Uh, this is uh, at Real White Dude FC. Giving you a shout out, Critty. Thank you for having me on tonight. Let's, uh, let's get it. Of course. Let's get right into it. We don't waste time on this program. We just drink whiskey and talk football. That's what we do. We don't we don't uh, sit here and beat around the bush. So, gentlemen, uh, kind of to set the table, we're going to set the table before we go and eat our meal. We have uh, Europa League action to recap quickly. Uh, kind of a heartbreaker here in the first matchup. We had uh, Red Bull Salzburg. They were hosting... Uh, Marseille. Uh, Marseille is uh, one of the most successful French clubs in history. Uh, they have a uh, deep-rooted history in both the Champions League as well as the old UEFA Cup. Uh, this one, 2-0 in the first leg to Marseille. Red Bull had to do a little bit of work in this matchup. They were at home. They had the, the home crowd behind them fell just a little bit short. You had uh, what I would call a very a very valiant effort. You had uh, Haidara in the 53rd minute after what was a pretty dominant performance by Red Bull. I would say they were the better side for the first 45 minutes. Finally paid off. Uh, got the 1-0, followed by an own goal in the 65th minute uh, by uh, Bunasar. 
It goes into extra time, of course, and uh, Rolando of Marseille uh, breaks the hearts of all of the Red Bull Salzburg fans. And this was, of course, as everyone knows, the furthest that an Austrian club has ever made it in a European competition. The semifinals of the Europa League, despite what may, people may think about the soda company that backs them, this is a, quite an accomplishment, especially because the uh, Austrian Bundesliga is very uh, weak in comparison to... Uh, many of the other European leagues, you don't see a lot of success out of clubs like this. So my heart goes out to Salzburg. Guys, what did you think about this matchup? I thought it was very entertaining. I thought they made it exciting. And I thought that Marseille, over the two legs, very, very even, questionable corner kick at the end to give Marseille the goal. I think that Mar- that Salzburg was just as good as Marseille over the 180 minutes, and it came down to a fatal, I guess you could say a mistake. It depends on Salzburg wouldn't call it a mistake. It came down to one st- one corner kick that basically stood stood Salzburg up from getting into the Europa League final. Stan, what were your thoughts on this matchup? I would, I would have definitely called it the uh, semifinal of either, either competition. Um, as you know, the uh, UCL, not that much drama, um, between mm-hmm. the two legs of either of either uh, competition between the four combatants, so I would definitely say between uh, Marseille and Salzburg, it was definitely uh, the most bang for your buck, if you would. Uh, I remember we were discussing it live uh, during the chat, uh, during the fixture in the chat. So that was uh, very, very great to just be joined by my kings of Europe brethren. Uh, and really, just uh, unfortunate for Salzburg, just like you said, uh, Marseille. Uh, with their domestic uh, adventures in um, in Ligue 1, you know, as we know, it's not exactly the most competitive. So this was their time to uh, prove their worth, and now they have earned uh, a trip to the final against a very competitive, a very defensive Atletico Madrid uh, side. So uh, yeah, sorry for Salzburg. I, I have no no qualms about the result, but of course, I have no rooting interest either. So. John, what were your what were your thoughts on this match uh, from from your perspective? Um, I like the match. I like the way it was going. For me, this is perfectly summed up uh, in the uh, phrase: on one side you have quality, and one, on one side you have incredible effort. In this case, Salzburg had the effort, and Marseille had the quality. You can see this um, when you look at the statistics of the second match. Um, they they weren't like in the overall shots. Um, Salzburg had 16, Marseille had 15, which may not sound that like that um, widely um, apart from each other. But if you look at the shots on goal over the course of the game, Salzburg had six, and Marseille had only one, which means Marseille did Marseille did what all good teams do, they took their chances, they had only one real chance and they took it and broke Salzburg's heart, so in that case, I don't know, like 55% of possession was at in Salzburg's favour, just 45 for Marseille. Um, there were eight yellow cards for Marseille and just three for Salzburg. It was just Marseille had the quality to use that one chance to break Salzburg's heart, and Salzburg fought bravely, 
were on the brink of pulling off a miracle. Unfortunately failed, but that's football. That is indeed football. Uh, it says it's unfortunate for Salzburg, but from now uh, we go on to the second matchup, which saw the this was the traditional powers. I want to say real quick though the stat that I had for you guys, Marseille. Marseille is now in their fifth European final. That is two and a half times more European finals than Lyon, than Monaco, and than Paris Saint-Germain. So Marseille, by far and above, the most successful league inside of all time when it comes to European competition. What do you guys think about that, huh? I mean, all this money Paris spends, and it's Marseille getting the job done. Well, uh, PSG haven't had very long of a history. They've only been around since uh, 1970 or so. Um, so their lineage is very, very brief. So not only have they not had the opportunities to uh, romp in Europe, but also they don't have the, as uh, Jose Mourinho likes to say, football culture or history that Marseille, Lyon, even um, even uh, Herbe, the, um, the competitor with, uh, with PSG and the French Cup final. So with that being said, uh, again, it's not necessarily the money that you spend, but it's about your culture, it's about the players, how you develop them, and it's really about team chemistry. And Marseille have it in spades, and PSG do not. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to Dimitri Payet. He got his uh, seventh assist. I believe it was his seventh assist in the Europa League. Uh, he has made uh, West Ham, I think, feel pretty bad about the kind of relationship that they had and the falling out they had. Uh, it's been fantastic for Marseille, especially in Europe. And um, yeah, I think that he's, I think he's found himself a uh, quite comfortable home. I, I, myself, I was always a fan of his. I thought that uh, he, he didn't really, I don't think he really showed his best, but I also don't think he had the best situation at West Ham. John, what's your thoughts on Payet now he's done this season, as opposed to last season, especially with the falling out with the uh, the Premier League side? Well, first of all, I don't like players who force themselves out of contracts. Mm -hmm. I hate players who do that usually. Just look at Usman Dembele. He's the best example for this. And Payet did exactly the same. Um, that was my first thought on him. Then he kind of swam under the radar for me um, over the se course of the season. And then when I looked up statistics, when I watched the Marseille game, I really saw what quality this man had. And I am a fan of a minor club or of a club who doesn't belong to the greatest. And um, I understand West Ham's approach to this situation with Payet as well as I understand Payet's approach. In this case, clearly Payet has won the game because um, he's just a, he's a class player. He's real good. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder, shoulder as you like to say, um, due to his uh, complicated relationship, sort of, um, and by any means, uh, with uh, the France, um, with the French um, national um, team coach and everything. So he's playing with a chip on a shoulder on his shoulder. You can see that, and he's tearing it up. And I'm looking at it with an eye half crying, half laughing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that's 
that's that's football sometimes that's how that's how it goes you know Pyatt uh obviously did uh did not leave West Ham under the best circumstances but you know we do have uh many players like that as you mentioned you know Usman Dembele you have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang so two from the, actually the same club as a matter of fact uh Borussia Dortmund and Philip Coutinho to a lesser extent but also maybe yeah. can be put into that category but anyways, we're going to move on to the second. There was another Europa League uh, matchup, as we uh, said before. The two heavyweights. You had Arsenal FC versus Atletico Madrid. Uh, Diego Simeone's bunch. Diego Simeone, now third time in the last five years, gentlemen, he is in a European final. That is outstanding. Atletico Madrid has been, I, I think, just as good as, as Barcelona and Real Madrid when it comes to these competitions. I know that Madrid are going for the third consecutive uh, Champions League victory, so it's hard to you know if they obviously if they if they if they do that, it's going to be hard to say that they're that Atletico is better. But they, that's something to be said about three finals in five years. Granted, he does need to win this one. He really does need to win this one because Barca's won there. They've won. Uh, Real Madrid obviously has won. But Diego Simeone, what he's done with Atletico Madrid. Guys, all in all, it was a Diego Costa goal in the uh, second minute of injury time, stoppage time, whatever you want to call it time. That's what did Arsenal in. They were very disorganized. Koscielny went out in the first half with an injury. That kind of set them back a little bit. They had a sub on early. It was a, a, a valiant effort by Arsenal. They could not seemingly, though, get the attack organized enough to equalize and, and to put themselves through. 23 minutes before the end of the match, Madrid had the best chance to go ahead 2-0. Uh, a very uh, close miss there, and it was something that, had that happened, that would have been a little bit of uh, salt in the wounds, obviously. But this matchup was the, as you said, Stan, it was the lesser of the two. You had more bang for your buck as it pertains to Salzburg and Marseille. But obviously the two heavyweights, you know, this is, uh, if you go in the last decade, these are two of the top clubs in Europe. What did you see in this matchup? Uh, you know, this is something, Diego Costa has owned Arsenal. He has seven appearances against them and four goals in those seven appearances. Obviously six of them with, excuse me, uh, five of them with Chelsea, I believe, two now with Atletico, thanks to the Europa League picture. He is... Uh, done very well for himself against Arsene Wenger's side. What, what was it was it just him or or what did you see in this matchup where Atletico obviously came out they it looked like they were going to counter and they did. They set themselves up for the counterattack. Never once did they look like they were going to be the aggressors. Is that what did you see, Stan? I think it was a it was a typical typical Atletico Madrid uh matchup. Uh, uh, let's call it a masterclass if you will. Uh, we saw a lot of that in the first leg, and you saw it again uh, with the with the second leg as well. Even though Arsenal had 56% of the ball, 56% of possession, mm -hmm. um, they only managed one shot on target. You mentioned the disorganized attack. Um, you mentioned uh, them losing their shape at the back once Koscielny was out injured. Uh, Arsenal have always been, uh, especially as of late, uh, slow to make adjustments in-match. That could be players, that could be the gaffer, that could be the Arsenal way. We're not really sure. Uh, it's tough to really pinpoint it on any one particular factor. 
However, uh, Atletico de Madrid, they, what they're very good at, and uh, this is, uh, I think, again, praising Simeone, they get the goal that they need. Mm-hmm. Once they get the goal that they need, it is now then shut down, let's go home, we're not going to concede, we'll let you have as much, of the ball, uh, much, as much of the ball as you want. It's almost with their 4-1, 4-1 attack. Not doing good math here, but, but it's basically a, a solid defensive midfield with just two attackers up top, uh, Griezmann playing behind Costa and, and the two kind of switching in and out. So it's like a one and one instead of a side-by-side attack. Um, what this allows for, though, is just basically a wave of pressure of, at each level. So uh, it's honestly uh, what you would expect and more of the same. Actually, going into this fixture, I said that Arsenal aren't going to score, score a goal at the Wanda Metropolitano, which is basically a fortress. Um, it's a fortress. Mm-hmm. And so with that, with that being said, that, you, that was the result that you were going to expect, a 1-0 result. Um, great goalkeeping as per usual. Actually, not nearly as much needed in this leg as you need in the first leg, but enough to get them through to the final and... I, I wasn't surprised by the scoreline. I wasn't uh, surprised by the result. Uh, it's, again, typical Madrid. Typical Atletico de Madrid. John, what were your thoughts on this match as far as Arsenal's approach, as far as Atletico Madrid's approach? Do you think that what Stan said, it's typical Madrid and uh, typical Arsene Wenger? Did you see a sense of urgency from Arsenal? Did you Because that's what I kind of... I, I, I saw I didn't I saw them kind of lack the sense of urgency. They they did attack the they did attack the goal in the second half and they did put together some some array of offense, but it was never anything that truly looked threatening to me. What what were your thoughts? Um, in a nutshell, um, I totally agree with Stan mm-hmm. um, in on every aspect. Um, for me, Atletico Madrid reached the final the moment they scored their first goal, mm-hmm. like um, in the fixture, in the first fixture. For me, that was the moment where I knew if Arsenal doesn't hammer one more in, then they're done. Because the Atletico Madrid at home is a fortress. It is a real fortress. They are hard workers. They may not be the most polished techniques. They may not have the most polished techniques compared to the likes of their bigger brother, like um, Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, they are working and they are working their asses off, and they do this week in week out. And this is something that really comes. Um, like I think Stan was it who mentioned culture, and that's Atletico Madrid's culture. Atletico Madrid is defining themselves over as a hardworking club, as a w- club who knows what they play for, who. Um, who um, like value what they play for, and who get their job done, not more, not less. No silly nonsense. Like if I had to compare Atletico Madrid with a player, like what this club would be, who would this club be as a player? I'd compare him to Ashley Williams from the um, Swans, uh, the um, ex Swans, now Everton, and. Um, ex Wales or still Wales um, centre back because he is he may not be the guy who can dribble around the enemy but he knows when to make a foul where it's necessary he does no nonsense he um, he 
pulls the ball away when he has to. He's just doing his job. And that's exactly what Atletico Madrid is doing. Almost, uh, would you say that Atletico are, Atletico are the bullies of the uh, uh, Santander La Liga? Uh, is that what you're uh, basically saying, John? I'm saying that they are underappreciated. Like, everyone, for me, um, is looking at Real Madrid. Everyone, like, Atletico is playing in the backyard of, Atleti- of Real Madrid. It is just like this. Like, they are not as good as Real Madrid, in my opinion. But they define, they don't have to be. They define them, themselves through, um, through different things. You know, like, Atletico, uh, no, um, Real Madrid defines themselves through um, classy football, through um, technique, through um, fast, like, uh, thunderstorms of players, if you want to. Atletico Madrid defines themselves through... Um, through fighting and hardworking players, and that's something I admire. So um, they're definitely the underdogs, if you want to. Beautifully put. I agree. Beautifully put. Absolutely. I was going to say I I could not have heard one of these expert analysts on TV say it any better. That was uh, absolutely well said, John. Uh, But the the real reason that we're talking about this fixture, we all know, is this was... Arsene Wenger's last match as the manager of Arsenal in a European fixture. What this means is this is an end of an era. That is saying it quite uh, frankly, I guess, if you will. After 111 wins, 48 draws, and 58 losses, he has three semifinals in Europe. One of them this year, two Champions League semifinals, one Champions League final, which he lost to Ronaldinho's Barcelona back in 2006. He has the English record. He Well, he doesn't, but as a manager, he does, I guess you could say. I should say he does. But Arsenal, thanks to Arsene Wenger, are the English record holders for consecutive appearances in the Champions League with 19. Almost two decades of consecutive Champions League appearances. That is unbelievable. They beat Manchester United's record, who had 18 under Alex Ferguson. And they're second only in Europe to Real Madrid, who currently sit on 21. The next closest side would have been Chelsea with 13. Barcelona, well, that's the English side. Barcelona has 14. Bayern München has currently 10. They'll probably go to 30 because they I mean, I can't see Bayern ever finishing out of the top four again in the Bundesliga. But that's a different story for a different day. Scheiß Bayern. Anyways. Um, <laughs> hold up, Credit. Hold up. Just hold up. Hold up. Sorry. Sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so, guys, this is a little bit of a shout to Arsene Wenger. I think that one has to say the only thing that's missing off of his European resume is a title. He does not have a Europa League title. He did not get that this year. The man doesn't even know what Europa League is. He spent his entire career in the UEFA Champions League. Like I said, 111 wins over the course of 19 seasons. He advanced out of the group stage almost every single one of those seasons. His his shortcoming, I would say, were sometimes the knockout stages when he didn't quite get his tactics right. Also, poor matchups. Unfortunately, he met... Pep Guardiola's Bayern mentioned quite a few many times. Jo Pinkis's Bayern. He he seemingly had poor draws. He drew Barcelona. He drew the 
that's not an excuse, I know, because when you're in the Champions League, everyone's supposed to be good. It's called the Champions League for a reason. But Arsene Wenger should be remembered for those 111 wins, those 19 consecutive Champions League qualifications. That is, that is an amazing feat. I doubt that we will ever see that happen again in the Premier League. So if you have something to say about Arsene Wenger, guys, go ahead and say it because I, I have to say, I think, he's, I think he should be remembered as one of the great managers. Stan, I said to you today, a manager, of the Champions, uh, manager in the Premier League today can barely make it two years, much less 22 years. He's been at Arsenal for 22 years. They're, they're going to miss him, I think, in the long run. And I know everything must come to an end. Phil Jackson's run with the Bulls came to an end. Phil Jackson's run with the Lakers came to an end. Fergie's run with United came to an end. And one day, Jurgen Klopp's run with Liverpool, as it did in Dortmund, will come to an end. But for Arsene Wenger, he's been the face of this club. He's been the ambassador for this club. When you say Arsenal, the first thing I think of, it's not Thierry Henry. It's it's not Olivier Giroud. It's, it's Arsene Wenger. Guys, what are your thoughts on the... Just the European, just looking at it from a European perspective. So Champions League mostly, except for this year's Europa League. What are your thoughts on, on, on Arsene Wenger's legacy in his career as it pertains to his peers in Europe? Well, I think... Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. John, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. So I'll start. Um, for me, Arsene Wenger, um, first of all, respect to the man. My respect from the deepest, deepness of my heart for staying with Arsenal over such a long tenure. Not because it's Arsenal, but because um, it's the Premier League. It's the maybe best league in the world. Mm -hmm. It is Arsenal. It is a London-based team. It is like, whoa, 19, I think 19 years, right? Yeah, 19. 19, Yeah, 19 goddamn years. I don't want to know how many coaches have been at Hamburger SV over that tenure, <laughs> but Lord, he deserves my respect, not just for bringing in the results to um, um, assure him of this or to like um, support himself in that role, but also for pledging this kind of loyalty to a club that is seen so that is seen. Um, less these days that is nearly never seen um, these days amongst footballers and coaches so really my respect for this but he will always be for me the unfinished one the unfinished one because he never won the creme de la creme he never won the champions league he never won the euro league and for me to be considered amongst the best trainers in the world that have ever been, you have to have a Champions Cup or at least some EuroLeague trophies. I may be a little bit too much um, into the results matter thing, but for me, he will remain unfinished. And that is a shame because his unbeaten run in 2002, I think, when he never lost a game um, with in the Premier League, um, though all those are stuff, this is this is stuff no one will ever do again. But that one missing title is the missing link that connects him with the likes of Zinedine Zidane or other top class players. 
Yeah, John, you're talking about the you're talking about the uh, Arsenal Invincibles from 2003, 2004, led by Thierry Henry. Exactly. Uh, Stan, I heard you have some uh, some numbers for us. I, I I heard you did some research on this, uh, comparing him to other some of the other great managers in European history. And no, if you guys are out there, if it's one of you guys who's Aston Villa, you're looking for your manager to be on there from when the '60s when you're relevant. Sorry, we didn't put him in there. And sorry for, you know, PSV Eindhoven, if we forgot your manager. We couldn't cover it all, you know, for fuck's sake. We're, we're, we're three tax ID numbers, all right? Well, uh, for John, it's Mievet Stoya, but, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's six one, half a dozen the other. But what Stan did today was he put some numbers together. And Stan, I understand you have some pretty impressive names on this list. I would love to know where you have Arsene Wenger ranking as far as European wins go amongst these great names. Actually, Critty, so after some painstaking research this afternoon, I have actually found him to be an eighth of all-time European victories amongst the uh, top 10, top 11, if you will, of all-time managers. Um, I'll I'll start off with, um, we can, you know, stop me whenever you want, but Mm -hmm. leading off uh, with the most amount of uh, wins in European club football history, Sir Alex Ferguson. And by the way, speedy recovery to another legend, another great gaffer Definitely. to the hospital Definitely. Uh, over the weekend with, um, with the brain aneurysm, uh, had to get immediate surgery. So hopefully he is resting well and in good spirits. Um, How many does he have? 248 wins. Ooh. I'll give you his exact record. 248 wins. 129 draws and 65 losses. Wow. Uh, 65 losses. Just 65 times has he lost in European football. Um, two titles, obviously 07, 08, and then also uh, the 98, 99 uh, uh, trouble winning season. Mm-hmm. So uh, in second place, we do have Carlo Ancelotti. With 197 wins, 115 draws, and 41 losses. He has three titles on his record. Um, starting off with the 0203 Sheva Kaka uh, side, uh, title winning side. Of course, we all remember uh, the AC Milan's dominance, uh, making multiple trips to the final uh, between the years of. Uh, 2002 and 2006. I do believe there are three appearances in the finals for them at that time. Uh, his second win was, of course, with 2006-2007 uh, with, again, AC Milan. Um, we all know the final that he couldn't get, uh, 2005, uh, the uh, penalty shootout thriller against Liverpool FC. Mm-hmm. His third title was in 13-14 uh, with Real Madrid. Uh, so, three titles for Ancelotti. Um, after that, uh, Giovanni Trapattoni, 188 wins, 87 sense, draws, yeah. yep. 41 losses. Um, and what we can do, Critty, I can uh, give you a photo of this uh, uh, compilation. Um, Jose Mourinho, 172 wins, two titles. Um, Pep Guardiola, even, uh, 111 wins, 116 wins, 116. and one title, and, and, uh, and 10-11 with uh, FC Bayern. Uh, I'm sorry, with uh, FC Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Atmar uh, Hitzfeld, uh, a name near and dear to your heart, sir. Mm-hmm. 166 wins, two titles uh, in 2000 and 2000. I want to shout out. I want to shout out much love to my man Otmar Hitzfeld, 
Borussia, Borussia, yes. Borussia Dortmund, 1997 Champions League, baby. Yes. My boy, Matthias Sama. That's right. BVB, BVB, baby. Uh, and then, of course, he uh, committed a sin and went to the uh, dark side. And in 2000-2001 campaign, he won it with uh, Bayern München. Yeah. Um, so, as you can see, uh, it Arsene Wenger actually does fall, even with the amount of matches with the consecutive years that he's made, that he's qualified for the Champions League. And I, I would say, John, good shout on the fact that it is unfinished because you cannot amass such a record and not have a trophy to your name. Yeah. We will always think yeah. what That's came true. of it. Um, with that said, I do want to give Arsene Wenger a shout-out for helping revolutionize the English game. Um, just incredible, incredible, incredible. 22 years. The Premier League has been established for 25 years to just celebrate their 25th anniversary. Arsene Wenger was a manager for Arsenal for 22 years of Premier League brilliance. Uh, so uh, he helped revolutionize the game as far as training, as far as tactics. He helped uh, uh, pretty much give Tony Adams' career a lifeline when he first came over from Japan in 1996. Uh, as you know, Tony Adams was, the, uh, was an Arsenal legend, uh, great, great player, great defender, but sort of, uh, uh, let's just say he didn't take the best care of himself. Wenger came in, established stretching routines, established uh, just different ways for the players to prolong their careers. So shout out to Wenger, uh, even if he never did get that all-elusive title. I think he actually went up against, in 2006, with Ronaldinho and that Barcelona side. It, it was just almost an, un, an unconquerable feat because they had a fantastic group stage that year, if I remember. I think they... I think they got 15 points in the group stage. I may be off, but I, I know they. I think they won their group stage. They went through a pretty difficult road, obviously, to get to the final. And when they broke through, you know, who's waiting for them but World Cup winning Ronaldinho and company. It's, to me, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're talking about Bayern München getting the win in 2001. They got to play Valencia no disrespect to Valencia, but that's that's kind of who you want if you're if if you're wanting a Champions League opponent in the final, you're wanting someone like that. And of course, Arsene Wenger finally gets to the final after so many attempts and so many tries to break through, and he has FC Barcelona standing in his way. So, despite the fact that he had one of the greatest attacking players in history in Thierry Henry, was not able to get the job done. I think it should be said, it's one of those. I guess the best way to, to compare him is he, he reminds me sort of of the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s of the NFL. Yeah, exactly. It, Dan Marino with the Dolphins. Right. He has the uh, a ton of wins. He has a ton of accolades. And he, he won the Premier League. But he and we'll cover the, we'll cover Arsene Wenger's career when he's done with the Premier League when he's done this 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 Saturday with the fixture and we'll we'll give him a, a proper send off. But just in European aspects, I think it still needs to be said. You know, when you have the wins, when you have triple digit wins in the Champions League and nineteen consecutive appearances, that that that's doing something, man. That that's going out and fucking doing something, is it not? I think it is. 
I think it's a, a remarkable achievement. But again, uh, John, again, brilliant, sir, with how you put it. Just the unfinished yeah. one. And we will always be left wondering yeah. what, why, why and what happened. It is. What I happened, had, why? I always had only one problem with Ossian Wenger. And that was the inconsistency, especially the latter years Arsenal has had. And those inconsistencies, they they are simply, they are deadly. If you want to have a, a successful season from the standpoint of a great club such as Arsenal. Because I consider Arsenal, when Arsenal has a good day, they are close to unbeatable, the current squad, in my opinion. And um, But the problem is, they, Arsene Wenger simply never got everything out of his team when he really needed it and that is something that um, other managers did and that mother other ma- mother <laughs> that other <laughs> managers each um, to get everything out of the teams when it really matters and Arsene Wenger really you've dominated um, English football for years you've shaped the game new but on European um, on European levels you're always be unfinished and unfortunately um, this won't change well I think we can all say Messi Alsen without a doubt I think we can all agree on that definitely Messi Alsen Messi beaucoup monsieur hopefully he has a are you choking on the French dip there Stan or what's going on there just just a little bit uh it's been a few years since I practiced my uh, uh, practiced my francophone. So, uh, but yeah, just uh, just tremendous tremendous career. Sad to see him go. Um, I wish him best of luck wherever he winds up next. That's okay. He'll be in Dortmund next year. Don't worry about it. Um. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so we're moving on. There, there, there are still a couple of games to be played. Uh, not much uh, to talk about in the Premier League as far as the top goes. We have Liverpool versus Brighton and Hove Albion. That is going to be a massive match despite the fact that Brighton doesn't have much to play for at this point. And of course, Chelsea will be playing Newcastle. Uh, quick preview on this one. We, I, I don't think there's, I don't think, that, I think a draw does it for Liverpool. As a matter of fact, yes, a draw does do it for Liverpool. I think that they at least get a draw. This is the last match of the season. I think the club, as he said today uh, in, in a statement, with the Champions League still not qualified for it yet, this is the biggest game of the season against Brighton Hub Albion. I could not agree more with Jurgen Klopp. The man is too fucking smart for his own good. That's why he's the best manager in the world, and that's the way it's going to stay until he calls it quits. So as far as Chelsea goes, I can easily see them drawing with Newcastle. I could see them beating Newcastle. I could see them losing to Newcastle. In the end... If they take three points from Newcastle, I don't think it's going to matter because I think that Liverpool will at the very least get a draw. That will be the one point that decides Liverpool's top four finish. They will already have Champions League locked up with no pressure of having to win the final against Real Madrid just to qualify. Gentlemen, how do you see these two fixtures going down very briefly? Because I do want to get to the relegation side of things. Well, if I, if I could, if I really, really could, just briefly, just give a quick shout-out to David Wagner of uh, Huddersfield Town uh, FC. Uh, they actually did 
Oh, I oh wow. I apologies, John. Um, they did do uh, a tremendous favor with their one-all draw at Stamford Bridge yesterday. So that actually takes the pressure off Liverpool tremendously as far as European qualification is concerned. Spurs are in. Uh, Spurs are locked in now. Uh, Man United are actually locked into second officially. So now we're just waiting on to see if uh, if if. Liverpool can pull through in the final day at Anfield. John, real quick, your thoughts on this? For me, Liverpool um, stays at number four at um, at position four. Liverpool um, gets with a draw into the um, into the Champions League, and Liverpool deserves it. Certainly, they've done a hack of a, they've had a hack of a season, and Chelsea will play your league. Um, yeah, not much to say. If I had to guess um, how the outcome will be, Liverpool will probably beat um, Brighton something like 2-0, 3-1, and Chelsea, well, I have no idea actually after the Huddersfield game, but I guess they bounce back 1-0 against Newcastle because Newcastle has a solid defense. Yeah, that's it for the top of the table. Can't wait to see Eden Hazard give uh, Chelsea the bird after they go to Europa League. He's like, I'm out to Madrid, boys. See you later. Yes. Well, uh, he, got, he got a new haircut if uh, you're following his, uh, IG, uh, his IG feed and his Twitter feed. He got a new haircut. So apparently when he gets a new haircut, he leaves. So. Well, I don't. New haircut, who this? All right. So just want to. So, so the, John, John is uh, kind of our opposite end of the spectrum uh, experience yeah. here. So John's a Swansea supporter. And I just wanted to talk about this because, you know, with Kings of Europe, we're the top five leagues. It's not the top five teams in the top five leagues. It's all the teams in the top five leagues. And unfortunately, Swansea will not be a part of those top five leagues next season. John, yeah. as, as far as this season goes, you know, Swansea, they've been kind of a, what we call in German, we call them sympathisch. They're, they're one of those clubs that you sort of root for because they're the underdog and they're the little guy and they always seem to overachieve this season has not been the case they were in 20th position below West Brom at one point they bought themselves out of that hole and then dug themselves right back in they are in a damn near impossible position this weekend yes but this is my star what is it what has it been like for you this season watching them struggle? And what are your thoughts as far as how it's going to continue from this point on, especially as it looks like it might be a championship season next next year? Yeah. Well, first of all, how is the situation of Swansea City? Uh, Swansea has 33 points. That separates them just three points from Southampton at position number 17, who have 36 points. Now comes the crack of the thing. The goal difference is nine um, in favor of Southampton. Does sound shitty? Is shitty. Now Swansea City plays Stoke. They had to. They have to win against Stoke by five goals, and Southampton has to lose by four or more to Man City. The Southampton Man City stuff doesn't sound that bad, but Swansea has only scored twenty-seven. Freaking goals over this season. 27. 
Damn. A lot of, uh, t- lot of Tammy Abraham shots going uh, into Rosette. Let that, let that kick in. 27 over the course of 37 games. We haven't scored in eight motherfucking games. I'm sorry <laughs> for language, but many more will come. Now, <laughs> like for the, the warning. Look at look at if you look you don't have to if you look at Swansea City and just look at this season, then you're doing something wrong because what you you've witnessed on Saturday when I uh, know what I'm talking what you witnessed on um, Tuesday when Swansea was beaten one zero by Southampton to all but confirm their relegation status is the brutal nemesis the brutal top of the hill of a course that has been shown for the last three, four years. Swansea's been in the Premier League since 2011, and when they came up, no one gave them a chance to stay. No one. They, they were doomed right from... I remember an analyst saying that if Swansea City stays up more than one season, then he knows nothing, and boy, he did know nothing, because Swansea had their own ways, Swansea had their philosophy. Swansea was a little bit like Atletico for poor men because um, we obviously hadn't quite the quality Atletico has. Therefore, we had a similar approach to games. We fought hard. We had our own way of playing the game. We had our short passes, pass game um, that wasn't over-dutying our players. We had decent players, not great ones, but decent ones. We had a good and still have a very good youth recruiting agency that brought up the likes of Ben Davies, who's now starting left back for Tottenham, um, or Ashley Williams, who's now playing for Everton. Swansea City was Swansea City. You just can't describe it at that. Swansea City had a strong bond with their fans. Swansea City was the typical laid-back club no one can really hate. And then came, in the person of two Yankees, I'm sorry guys, I know you're Americans, but two, what why? What um, why? Yeah, two American investors, Steve Kaplan. Well, I'm really more German, honestly, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I'm and, like definitely an anti-American socialist, so let it fly, John. Yeah. Came two Yankees, two North American guys called Steve Kaplan and Jason Levine. And they brought the club together with Chairman Hugh Jenkins. Don't ever mention the name Hugh Jenkins in the Swansea Bay area. Don't ever. Because what those people did to my club is simply astounding in such a negative way. They've they've turned Swansea City into a business, which means they they got good players cheap, and then they sold them without replacing them. Because for them, only money counts. For people who don't believe me and who say, this is just minor club talk, the, the, the before mentioned Jason Levine also owned the club named, uh, what, named DC, I think Washington DC Football Club, something in that way. And DC United of the ML, uh, shitty ass. Exactly, exactly, DC United. This DC United just... Um, all but confirmed a deal for Wayne Rooney, um, setting up 13 million, a 13 million move. 
What do you think? Where does this money come from? I can tell you where this money comes from. This money comes from a, from the solding of a certain Gilfy Sigurdsson to Everton. Guess where Gilfy Sigurdsson played? He didn't play at DC United. He played at fucking Swansea City. Once. He played fucking Swans. Wow. Yeah, he played great. Wow. And he was sold to Everton. Everton. Nothing bad in selling players who want to play elsewhere. But to bring as a replacement Sam Klukas from Hull City is a spit in the face of everybody who has a bond to Swansea City. And that was just the last one of a horrible um, course of misjudgment in recruiting. The likes of Dan Davies were sold, Ashley Williams were sold, Gilfie Sigurdsson were sold. There was exactly one player um, that was bought by Hugh Jenkins that still plays at this club and proved worthy. And that was Lukas Fabianski from Arsenal. And he came in on a free transfer. They bought. They thought they could replace close to world-class players with bargains. And if you manage a Premier League club this way, then God damn, you deserve it to play in the championship. And I'm usually, I'm no one who cries over sports. But when Swansea City conceded that goal by Gabbiadini on Tuesday, boy, those tears were coming. And this is just, this is just, this is not the fault of the players. This is one of the few causes where I can, where I can say out of the deepness of my heart, that this is totally on the board, on Hugh Jenkins, Jason Levine, and Steve Kirkland. What they did to Swansea City is inexcusable, and if they ever turn up in Swansea, God may protect them, I tell, I can tell you. This John, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, John, um, as you know, uh, the former FC Bayern uh, golden ball winner for uh, Portugal, uh, in the uh, last European competition yeah, for Ronaldo. best young player, Ronaldo Sanchez, yes. What were your thoughts of him uh, as he made his debut back in the fall for for Swansea? Uh, what were your thoughts of him as a player? Because if from from what I saw, I saw I watch every Premier League match every weekend, uh, and I just tried to do my best to track his progression. It seemed as though he came in overweight. It seemed as though he came in thinking that he was the next best Fabregas, the next best Xavi, the next best Iniesta, when, uh, or damn near, if you would, even from a, a legend from his country, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. It seemed as though he thought he could single-handedly put the Swans on his back uh, when he was clearly not ready for the pace of play in the Premier League, the the, uh, the fierceness and the tenacity of the English game. I just want to know what your thoughts of him and also the IU brothers. Yeah, my boy Renato Sanchez was on the fucking Charles Barkley diet. <laughs> when you're coming to those, um, you have to, first of all, for those who are not familiar with, with Swansea City, Swansea City's manager at the start of the year was Paul Clement, and he was an ex-minor um, ex, uh, coach for Bayern Munich. So he worked with Sanchez there. He came to Swansea, he um, helped them to escape relegation last season and was appointed uh, manager and he started the year with us. And one of his recruiting pitches was um, was um, Renato Sanchez. And he is 
a case of a player who didn't want to play here. And that is the point that separates him from the Ayu brothers. Jordan, let's take Jordan aside because Jordan was there long ago. But Andre, Andre Ayu came to us from West Bromwich. Oh no, I think West Ham actually. West Ham. It was West Ham. Yeah, it was West. He came from West Ham. Yeah, yeah West Ham. Um, in in um, winter. And yes. The January window. Yep. Andre Ayu worked his ass off to get on the pitch. He fought for us. He was was one of only four players on Saturday against Southampton at the brink of relegation who fought for the club. It was him, his brother Jordan, it was Lukas Fabianski as usual in the goal, Conor Roberts on the right side, and that's it. Those were the four players fighting. Renato Sanchez wasn't playing, and there's a reason Renato Sanchez wasn't playing, because Renato Sanchez never wanted to come here. Renato Sanchez came in here with a feeling that he was betrayed. He was betrayed by Bayern Munich. He was brought against his opportunities. Like He thought he was simply arrogant. He was simply arrogant. And... He didn't even, like, hide it, because just not even 24 hours after we lost to Southampton, he posted a fucking tweet with his motherfucking face. How classless can you be? Wait, 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 you cut out for a second. He posted a tweet on what? He, what did he do? He designed his own smileys. Ah, okay. <laughs> See, the, the evening before, Swansea lost to Southampton at home and were clearly relegated. And this fucking threat posts a post, not even a, like what I can't I can't even find words for this sort of stupidness and this disrespect because that's just Swansea City is a classical example for the middle class clubs going down, the traditional clubs going down again. And um, they, when they stayed up, such as Stoke or Southampton and or Swansea, we punched above our weights for years. And we punched above our weights because we had players who loved the club. In the likes of Swansea, it was Fabianski and it was Angel Rangel, a right back. Stoke, Jake, Jack Butland and um, Joe Allen, even though Joe Allen just came in, uh, and Sheldon Shakiri. Southampton, James Ward-Prowse, those are names, Jeff Stevens, those are names, those players loved their clubs and they fought for them. Renato Sanchez is a money chaser, a money chaser who feels underappreciated and who never wanted to come to Swansea, Swansea City. Unfortunately, Bayern München took the bait on him very quickly after the Euro 2016 mm-hmm. They saw something in that tournament that they thought that would be a long-term solution to some of their midfield problems, if you will, that were coming up. You have some aging players. You had Xabi Alonso still in the squad at that time. Obviously, Philip Lahm was going to retire. You don't ever know what you're going to get from Riveria Robin because they're either hurt or they're, they're pending retirement. So Sanchez looked like a very good long-term solution kind of like uh diego costa was looking like a good long-term solution and sanchez ancelotti was extremely unimpressed by sanchez the efforts and i think you're right he's more of a money chaser than anything else that was completely out of his element in wales to say the least and and john players those are the young players who come who are Stick into academies 
um, from the age of 14 up and who get are getting said all the time that they are such big talents and they can do so many things with their talent and they totally lose the respect for the game and the club. And you could see this with Usman Dembele. You can see it now. You could you all already could have seen it with Neymar and Renato Sanchez is just one in the list on the list and it is really it is a shame. Well John uh I, I got to say, so we are going to move on real quick, but man, you have summarized it so well. And I think that no one has a passion for their club like you have for Swansea. I mean, it's really hard to to watch them go down, especially when you know that people like you that are out there that are just fighting for this club and, as you said, crying for this club. You have to watch them sort of... I've been, you know, like, I've been there before the Premier League and I will be there after the Premier League and we're going down and we're going to rebuild. Maybe we're even going down in the League One. But um, first of all, we have to get rid of the rotten wood if you want to. Get all those money chasers out, all those overpaid players who do nothing. Put our um, under-23s up who just um, reached the finals of the FA Cup um, who are really good, like the Swans have a really good youth program, pro- program. Develop those players, bring them up, give them their chances in the championship and maybe come back in two or three years renewed and ready to fight for um, your space, uh, for your place in the Premier League. Um, by the way, just want some news on Swansea. And Carlos Carvajal, our, our boss who was appointed on, in January, was fired or is as good as fired. And they are looking to bring back Michael Laudrup or Graham Potter, both um, offensive-minded um, coaches who might be coaching the Swans next season. Well, my heart goes out to them again, and I hope that they do well in the championship, and I hope that they come back up. I'm not even wanting them to come back up in a playoff. I hope they get top two in the championship. They're, they're a good club. As you said, they're a workers' club. They are a club that you find it hard to hate and you hate to root against them and you love to see them succeed. So this has been, John, you could not have summarized it any better. You've, you've, you've been absolutely great in your summary of what's the history, the recent history of the club and, and how it's come to pass that we now have to say goodbye more than likely to the Swans this weekend. But as you said today on Facebook, I saw it, they will rise again from the ashes. And I do believe that they will. Uh, they may there take a few some, years. There are some Stoke fans. Um, for uh, just for the record, FC Southampton is managed by Mark Hughes, and Mark Hughes was the, was the manager of Stoke before, and he basically brought uh, brought Stoke into relegation. And there are some fans of Stoke who are calling for the management to just let Swansea score ten, so Mark Hughes goes down with with Southampton. But I don't think that will happen. But it would be a heck of a story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That that it would that it would I I if if that happens we'll know where it came from. So guys, shifting real quick, uh, we have uh, uh, we're getting uh, close on time here. So we have a final match day in the Bundesliga, and the Bundesliga is looking it's coming down to the wire. Let's put it like that. I mean, you have some you have some races for Europe. Everything is still open as far as third place and fourth place. The relegation zone. You have obviously Hamburger SV. And Falafel Wolfsburg fighting for survival. One of them trying to stay up in 16th place. One of them is going to go down. The Bundesliga Dino, as they call Hamburg, the dinosaur. They have never been relegated in the history of the league. Not one time have they been relegated. 
this would be very monumental, but as some people would say, very long time coming. Now, I ask everybody so that everybody at home listening understands what's going on. They have a, um, a calculator, and we did some scores earlier today to predict our final league table to say where things are going to go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through mine real quick. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is pretty standard. All the matches are Saturday. They're going to start at 15.30. That's 3.30 p.m. Uh, local German time. 9.30 for you, uh, those of us here in the United States. You have Bayern München against VfB Stuttgart. I have München winning 3-1. That unfortunately takes any kind of uh, chance that Stuttgart had of getting into Europe, which would have been a great story. Takes them out of the equation. Uh, Stuttgart, though, very good campaign coming up in the second Bundesliga last season. They finished top half of the table. My hat's off to them. Typhoon Korkut has done an outstanding job with them. Hertha BST and Leipzig. I have Leipzig winning that 2-1. Köln, I have them beating Wolfsburg 1-0. Werder Bremen in a meaningless match against Mainz 3-1 for Werder. Borussia Mönchengladbach sends the Bundesliga Dino down 3-2. They beat Hamburg. Eintracht Frankfurt and Schalke will draw 1-1. Augsburg 1-1 against Freiburg. Bayer Leverkusen 2-1 against Hannover 96 and Borussia Dortmund and Hoffenheim in the match of the day. They will draw 2-2 at Hoffenheim. Nagelsmann very, very seldomly does he lose at home in the Bundesliga. So that leaves my top four. Obviously, Bayern München, Bayern München is number one. Second place will be FC Schalke. Dortmund remain in third place. And Bayer Leverkusen jump over Hoffenheim to take the final Champions League spot in the Bundesliga Hoffenheim and RB Leipzig are going to the Europa League, and Eintracht Frankfurt will at least get to the to the qualifying rounds because they're got some ambient noise. Ambient noise. What's going on? Well, for me. Hey, wait a second. Okay, stay. I think you muted. I think you muted. What? One second. Uh, yeah. Somebody was it sounded like somebody was getting robbed or jacked in the uh, parking lot or something. <laughs> That's it. Uh, for, for me, so Eintracht Frankfurt will get their shot at Europe uh, because they play Bayern München in the DFB Pokal Final. And if they lose, it's fine because Bayern München has already qualified for the Champions League, which means that the number seven team in the Bundesliga will go to the qualifying stages of the Europa League. So they will be in Europe. FC Köln will go down. Hamburger SV, unfortunately, first time in history, they go down. And Wolfsburg will be playing Kiel, Holstein Kiel. Uh, in the relegation playoff. That's how things are going to enter the Bundesliga. John, what are your uh, thoughts on this final match day in Germany? Well, I'll do this real quick in a nutshell. Yep. Bayern Munich will trash VfB Stuttgart. The game is in Munich. Everything lies in Munich's hand. It's Heinke's last game. Bayern Munich 3, Stuttgart 0. Then Hertha BSC will draw with Leipzig 2-2. Um, uh, Wolfsburg will draw with Cologne 1-1. One, one. Mainz with Werder Bremen as well, 1-1. Hamburg will actually beat Borussia <laughs> 1-0 because they play in Hamburg and they still have hope. Schalke will lose 1-2 to Eintracht Frankfurt. This is a bit of a long shot, but I trust in Frankfurt. Um, Freiburg will draw with Augsburg 0-0. Bayer Leverkusen will lose 0-1 to Hannover. And Hoffenheim will lose 1-2 to Dortmund. This would lead to a table as follows. Bayern Munich stays at first, Schalke at second, everything as usual. Then Borussia Dortmund remains in third place with 58 points, while Hoffenheim drop to fourth 
or stay at fourth with 52 points. Bayer Leverkusen um, is in fifth place, which would, would mean Euroleague with 52 points, just on goal difference, um, behind Hoffenheim, as well as Eintracht Frankfurt. Then comes the, those mediocre teams, Hertha BSC at 10, Hannover 12th, and then in the relegation zone, um, zone Köln will go down, Hamburg will go down, on goal difference with Wolfsburg, who will be in the relegation, and Freiburg will remain 15th. Nice. Who is your seventh place team? Uh, my seventh, mm-hmm. uh, Leipzig. Leipzig, okay. Uh, Stan, what do you have as far as your results, real quick, in the Bundesliga? You go down the uh, the match matches real quick. Uh, who, what are your what are your results, and what does your top seven and your bottom three look like? So I have Bayern Munich uh, defeating Stuttgart two 0 I have Hertha Berlin one one with Leipzig. I have Wolfsburg defeating Köln uh, FC Köln uh, by a scoreline of three to one. Uh, Mainz and Bremen nil nil draw. Uh, Hamburg SV losing to Borussia Mönchengladbach one two. I have Schalke and Frankfurt at two all and Freiburg Augsburg at nil nil. Leverkusen uh, destroying Hanover uh, by a scoreline of 3-0. And then Hoffenheim and Dortmund in the match of the day. The only one that we thought we saw eye-to-eye, 2-2. Mm-hmm. Top seven, Bayern Munich, uh, Schalke in second, Borussia Dortmund third, Bayern Leverkusen fourth, Hoffenheim fifth, Leipzig sixth. Frankfurt, unfortunately, falls to the seventh spot at 50 points. Uh, in the bottom three, I have Cologne finishing dead last on 22 Hamburger SV finishing uh, HSV uh, finishing uh, at 28, and uh, Wolfsburg in the relegation playoff at 33 points. Well, that's a quick recap of the final weekend of Bundesliga action. It's going to be exciting. There are a few things that could change, as John said. If, if Hamburg win and Wolfsburg lose, Hamburg will. For the, at least the time being, they'll stay up. And that actually produces what is cool because it will be a North Derby. It's going to be Holstein-Kiel from Schleswig-Holstein, the most northern German state right south of Denmark. And Hamburg fighting for the relegation playoff. And if Hamburg doesn't get their shit together this time, it's really going to start to piss me off because, you know, I've been a huge proponent of them. I like traditional clubs. They've been one of those guys. They've won European Cups. They've won Bundesliga titles. But God damn it. Can you guys not get your fucking shit together? Seriously. I am so sick and tired of Hamburg with all this fucking prestige and money, and they got fly Emirates on their goddamn shirts, and they can't do shit. Vanderfart Van and Jonathan Ta and all these players. Chanalolu goes to Leverkusen, now he's in AC Milan. Everybody that leaves Hamburg gets better. As a matter of fact, everybody that leaves Hamburg plays in their national team. They play for Belgium. They play for for Germany they play for wherever it's 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 unreal it's just Hamburg needs to either go down and get straightened out and come back up better get bigger better or if they stay up for some miraculous I don't even know what it's going to be an act of God for them to stay up but uh if they do they really need to get their shit together but guys uh one final thing we want to talk about here and this is something about modern football this this is uh if anyone's read the book Soccernomics I really highly recommend it it is a fantastic read it really breaks down. If you like analytics and statistics, I can't recommend it enough. I've been reading it, 
and I'm about three quarters of the way through a brilliant book. It, it was written back in uh, 2010, I believe, so around the time of the World Cup in uh, South Africa, and basically talks a lot about modern football, why the cities such as Aston Villa went away and PSV Eindhoven, and you had teams like Borussia, I just read a chapter on Borussia Mönchengladbach, and why they're not even a mid-sized German city, but they dominated the Bundesliga in the 1970s. Beatty Volks, former uh, manager for the German national team, he played his entire career there. It's just a fantastic club. And now Gladbach kind of back in the relevancy picture. But for three decades, they were in the second Bundesliga. They were in the bottom half of the first Bundesliga. Modern football has brought us new ways of life. And certain things that have happened recently, especially as it pertains to Bayern Munich and FC Barcelona, is this the kind of the status quo of the day? And what F, what I'm referring to is Bayern München recently took the manager Nico Kovac from Eintracht Frankfurt. And Eintracht Frankfurt at the time was in a Champions League push. They were trying to become the first team in that club's history to make the Champions League since the Champions League became named the Champions League. I believe Eintracht Frankfurt has been in the European Cup before, but never in the UEFA Champions League. And they were in position to do that. And then Bayern München comes in, Uli Hoeneß, piece of shit, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, double piece of shit. Uh, Uli Hoeneß is a known tax evasion guy. He's been in jail for it, so you can tell he's a criminal. And they come in and they swoop Eintracht Frankfurt's manager with a buyout clause or whatever it was, a minuscule amount, in the middle of the second half of the season. This happened about a month ago. So Frankfurt was still very much alive and, and, and trying to, to, to make their way into not just Europe, but into the, the major leagues of Europe. And Bayern München, basically the statement from Uli Hoeneß was, we did them a favor. You know, we got, their, we got the management shit out of the way. We got our guy. They get to look for their guy before the season. They get to have a full summer preparation. They ripped the heart out of Eintracht Frankfurt in the middle of the season. It, it, is, it is detestable what Bayern did. There's not a single... As a matter of fact, I know there are Bayern fans, Bayern supporters, if you're out there, if you don't agree with me, there's something wrong with you. The morality. Look at the morals, man. Look at the morals. This is the absolute most bullshit way of doing business that I could possibly think of. You poach on the players of the, of, of the league. You take Goretzka. You take guys like Lewandowski. That's fine. You know, I understand you guys are trying to... But, but to do that... Wait till the season's over. Wait till Frankfurt actually knows their results, where they're going to be playing. And then to boot, who's playing Bayern München in the German Cup final? Of course, Frankfurt. So the guy who's on the touchline for Frankfurt, his former employer is standing right next to him. Or excuse me, his future employer is standing right next to him. Does he even give a shit about beating Bayern? I, I wouldn't. I was like, hell, I mean, I'm going to get Arjen Robben next year. I'm going to get Frank Ribéry. I'm going to get... Possibly Lewandowski. I'm going to get Thomas Müller. What I give a shit about Sebastian Halle and uh, Mascarell. I mean, what, 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 do I, what do I care about these guys? The, you've seen in the last couple of weeks that Frankfurt's gut and their heart have been ripped out. They have not been the same, the same team. And the other event I'm talking about is it's been alleged that Barcelona has been trying to get the release clause for Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid, to which Atletico Madrid had a very great statement saying they can kiss our ass. And I agree. Barcelona, you can kiss our ass. As that's what I'd say, Liverpool says the same thing to you because you got Coutinho and we got better. So that's fine. 
uh, every, everything as well. But what I want y'all's opinion on is this, is this going to become, are these isolated incidents or is this going to become the way that football is in Europe now with cutthroat mentality, undercutting, I won't even say your rivals because Frankfurt is not a rival of Bayern. Frankfurt's just a, a, a little kid or a little fish in a big pond trying to make their way, trying to make gains, and they get their legs cut out from under them by this giant juggernaut of, of, of European football. Is this, is this going to become the status quo or are these just isolated incidents? I believe, Critty, that this will indeed be the status quo uh, going, for, uh, going forward in uh, world football. It is only going to get worse. Uh, in my personal opinion, I do believe that uh, with what you saw with Bill Coutinho uh, signing a new contract with LFC and then suddenly deciding that he wanted to uh, become a FC Barcelona player, uh, uh, Usman Dembele uh, suddenly deciding that he wanted to jump ship from Borussia Dortmund, go back a year and a half earlier, Luis Suarez doing the same thing to Liverpool and deciding that he wanted to sign for FC Barcelona even though he was on contract. We are consistently seeing players take contracts in the middle of or just signing extensions, rip them up either due to player agents or due to uh, any number of circumstances. Wives getting involved, families getting involved, agents, uh, you name it. It is Gross and disgusting. This is not the football that we grew up on, Critty. Uh, Barcelona, their La Masia, La Masia uh, their academy, has now pretty much been withered and dilapidated due to underhand tactics such as going in underneath underhand tactics and, and, and basically stealing players from Smaller, quote unquote, smaller clubs, clubs that aren't small by any means of the imagination. Mm -hmm. But when you compare them to the global giants that are Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, and uh, and so forth, Manchester United and Manchester City, uh, even though they are plastics, the way that players are being <laughs> shout, shout out, to, shout out to the plastic bottles, shout out to plastic bottles. Be, make sure you recycle, people. Hashtag Le Plastique. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's disgusting, and it's not the football that we know and love. Club, club football, as we know it, died when Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea. That is when it died, because then it became an arms race. Good point, good point. John, 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 what are your thoughts on this uh, Barcelona situation, and especially as you being in Germany and close to the Bundesliga, obviously, uh, the Bayern situation? There will be. There have, has always been uh, high society in soccer, if you want. So um, there has always been that elite, that club of elite, um, that that club that has clubs like Bayern, like um, Real Madrid, like um, Barcelona, and half the Premier League that simply don't have to care about money, and as long as there will be no cap space or something comparable um, to limit not only um, the um, options for bigger clubs to buy from smaller clubs, but also um, the options of um, players to just simply get out of their contract. As long as nothing is done in that direction by the UEFA 
or even the FIFA, um, nothing would change. It would just get worse, as um, as mentioned before. And this is simply a sad, sad development that comes hand in hand with globalization in general, unfortunately. And um, th- those were the days when um, a team con- um, had at least half its starters grown up in their own academies. And those were the days, but we have to face reality. That's simply romantic nowadays. People can buy themselves out of their contracts and clubs are not strong enough anymore to hold players accountable and and even coaches. And that means that dick moves such as the one pulled off by Bayern with Kovac will just continue to happen. I wouldn't um, like I wouldn't wonder if the same will happen to um, the likes of David Ragnar's Huddersfield or to the good point, good of, point. Um, Julian Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim. Yeah. Whether it be Bavaria whether it will be Bayern or Arsenal or Tottenham, doesn't matter. Those are the clubs who get run by people with deep pocket pockets who simply throw money at the minor clubs saying, look, you can buy one, two, or maybe three middle-class players for this money if you give me your coach, and those players we're going to take in three years as well, but that doesn't matter, just do your shit and give me your coach. And yeah, for me, that's just not from a moral moral, um, standpoint, it's just inexcusable, and it's a shame that our beloved sports has come that far. I want to say it's Bayern's always, as I said, been the ones that have poached the players. Obviously, Barcelona has, to a lesser extent, I think the only honestly, the Bayern has, has done the same thing. You have certain teams like Manchester United that become interested in you. I, I don't really know them as, as I don't really consider them a, a, a player poacher. But Bayern is, has has damaged the league, as many think, to a certain as, aspect. Uh, to, excuse me, yeah. to a certain extent, because of, of the players that they've gotten, like the Lewandowski's, like the Mats Hummels, like the Leon Goretzka who's coming in. But yeah. they've never really undercut a team, a club, in the middle of a push like this to get some in a position where they've never been before. Yeah. Eintracht Frankfurt has never been in this position before where they can make Champions League. So it just makes it that much more dirty. And then the... And for those of you who don't know, you got to go look it up on Google, the story and the excuses about the limo driver who knew the Kovac brothers, Nico, and uh, I forget the other one's name. He, they were invited to the birth, he was invited to a birthday, and so the limo driver, somebody invited Jo Pinekis, uh, Jo Pinekis, sorry, I'm going all over the uh, Oli Hernes and his wife, and then Oli Hernes got invited Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and his wife, and then over dinner, they were eating some fucking birthday cake or something, and they said, "Oh, we we didn't we didn't ask Nico Kovac about the job. You know, he 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 inquired about it. You know, hey, by the way, I'm um, thinking about making some moves up. It, it's it's absolutely absurd. No one in the German media buys it. I think even people who are in Munich don't buy it. It, it is yeah. it is absolutely absurd. It is the most underhanded thing that yeah. has happened. I, I could say in my lifetime in the Bundesliga, it's the most underhanded thing that I've actually." seen in my lifetime and it's it's a it's a damn disgrace i'm a munich fan and she also said that this is absolutely inexcusable from the board and 
this is the reason why everybody hates Bayern. It's not that they are better. It's simply that they are disrespectful. Totally agree. I mean, gentlemen, if you if if we go back through the history books, I mean, I just I mentioned this to you, Critty, in a separate conversation before, and John, obviously, you know of this as well. In the sixties and seventies, Bayern Munich they dominated, but they didn't cheat. You know, this is blatant cheating. They at least had honor uh, in how they operated. You know, uh, they they developed players. Sure, they might have poached young talent. But they went about it the proper way. Something is happening. Uli Hernes would tell you, see, that's the thing. That's the difference. Uli Hernes would tell you, hey, we found we found a loophole. And that loophole was that buyout clause in Kovac's contract. And they said, ah, we simply we released we uh, 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 initiated the release clause. And that's within our rights to do so. So, you know, fuck you. That's literally Uli Hernes is saying. That not only is it within the rules, but it was our right to do so. It is morally wrong in the competition of, of, of fair play. I don't have a problem with Nico Kovac going to Bayern München. If he wants to go after the season, after Frankfurt knows either their Europa League or their Champions League or whatever they are, that's fine. You, you, you make these negotiations. You know, Borussia Dortmund, for example, are going to have a coaching change very soon. Uh, Stürger knows he's not coming back, but it's not like yeah. Dortmund's going out there poaching Augsburg's coach or poaching Ralf Hasenhüttl from RB Leipzig or telling Nagelsmann, hey, we're going to uh, take your uh, 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 release clause from Hoffenheim, pay the $8 million and fuck Hoffenheim. You know, uh, that's, it's, it's not the same. Bayern, it's, it's, in, t- in theory, I got to say, it's not cheating, but it's just so damn immoral. It should be. It should be. I agree. <laughs> look at, look at, the, those are those are situations where the soccer could take an example by other leagues. For example, um, uh, NFL, you're not allowed to um, to um, talk even talk with any player or coach who's still on contract with another team. So maybe that's those are rules as well as financial fair play, cap space. That maybe should be inserted into the rule book of football quite soon. Okay, guys. Well, we're actually running up on time. I want a one-word answer: yes or no. Don't go into it. We'll, we're going to cover this on a different show. But for tonight, a one-word answer: it's either yes, no, or I don't know. So that's three words. Sorry, <laughs> man. I lost count. Uh, John, salary cap in football: yes or no? Yes. Stan, salary cap in football, yes or no? No. No. Very well. So we already have something discussed for, 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 the, for when that topic comes up. Uh, guys, it has been uh, fantastic. You guys have, have rocked it. Stan, you've been excellent as always. John, what great insight into Swansea, the, the matches you've explained that you watched. Uh, you've just, you've just uh, uh, given such great insight on, 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 on everything that you've talked about tonight. It's been a true honor to have you, and we can't wait to have you on again. Uh, for uh, give you some uh, quick shout outs, of course, I got to give a shout out, Stan, to our girl Helen. Helen's been shouting out this program now for five weeks, and she continues to do so. She's just uh, the the mother of dragons uh, in a Game of Thrones terminology when it comes to to, to putting this show 
and uh, into the Twitter feed and, and, and putting it out there. So Helen, our hearts go out to you. Thank you very much. I'm sorry about the the drama you had this week, but I uh, hope I hope you're doing well today, and and I hope you have a great weekend. Real quick, Stan, uh, hit us up, man. Where can people find you, and what are you working on right now? What are you? What are we? Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, basically, right now, just uh, at the handle on Twitter at Real White Dude. That's W H Y T E Real White Dude F C. Uh, what I'm working on right now, working on some uh, analytics, uh, working on a goalkeeper's piece, uh, looking to release that for Foresight uh, at Foresight. You know, uh, Critty, where we went, where the team that we run with. Yes. Uh, also looking to uh, release a part two on being black and loving soccer in America. <laughs> I'll be releasing that to my medium uh, sometime within the next week or so. And part one was good for all you guys that haven't read it. You definitely need to check that out. Uh, John, uh, where, where, can, where can people find you? No, let me tell you. Let me talk, man. I'm going to tell. I got to intro. I got to introduce your 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 uh, uh, your 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 final statement to people. John, I'm just kidding. Where can people find you on the uh, interwebs, and uh, what are you working on right now? Okay, now I'm now as mentioned. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at rugby beastie. That means R U G B Y B E A S T I E, and um, that's where I I I won't post much, and the stuff I post is not that much about soccer but therefore about rugby and american football mainly um what i'm working on um i'm part of a podcast that is unfortunately in german so if you speak german you can check it out but it's most of the mostly about football and the new york jets um also i'm working on some articles i release um, independently or over um another side um on swansea situation as well as the New York Jets uh, football team and the New York Mets, a baseball team, as well as a season preview for the new rugby season, Pro 14, which is rugby league, and particularly the Ospreys, a rugby team, of course. Yeah, that's what is standing in line for me. Well, fantastic, guys. Again, I want to thank you both for being here tonight. It's been my honor, and it's been a privilege to have you on. Great insight, as always. And I want to thank all the listeners once again. Without you, this wouldn't happen. We thank you every week for downloading, for listening, and we will see you in this place, the Kings of Europe, again next Thursday or Friday morning, depending on where you're at in the world. We hope to see you then. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.